0: Turn with me, please, to Luke's Gospel and to chapter 19. Sorry, Luke chapter 20. Luke chapter 20. Our Lord has now entered Jerusalem. He's come as a king. Uh, there's a, a measure now of public declaration. And acclamation, but it's provoked this hostile response, especially from the Pharisees. Our Lord has been weeping over this city with all its rejection of God and of God's King, the Lord Jesus, as he comes. He's gone into the temple, he's cleansed it from the, uh, the vile traffic that's been going on in it, the ugliness of this carnal pursuit of wealth, and he's been teaching daily in the temple. But the, the battle lines have been drawn. And the Pharisees, the Herodians, that's the followers of of, of Herod and his party, the Sadducees, which is another sect of the Jews, they're all now starting to ally themselves against him. He's already been confronted by the, uh, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders with regard to the authority with which he speaks and acts. And he asked them, you tell me where the baptism of John came from, and I'll tell you where I got my authority from. And they refused to answer the question because it would expose them. And so he then told that parable about the vine dressers and how the owner of the vineyard had put it in the charge of certain men. But when he sent his messengers and eventually his son, the vine dressers, the the farmers, the tenants... They thrust them out and eventually began to kill them, hoping that when they killed the son, they would receive the inheritance. And it was quite clear by the end of that parable that the parable was spoken by Christ against the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. That brings us to verse 20. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be righteous that they might seize on his words in order to deliver him to the power and the authority of the governor. Then they asked him, saying, Teacher, we know that you say and teach rightly, and you do not show personal favoritism, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Why do you test me? Show me a denarius. It's a Roman coin. Whose image and inscription does it have? They answered and said, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. But they could not catch him in his words in the presence of the people. And they marveled at his answer and kept silent. Let's pray. O God of heaven, we pray that you would teach us to live on earth as those who belong to you. Lord, grant wisdom for every soul now that we may see what it means to walk in the ways of Jesus Christ. Teach us, O Lord, how to honour you above all and to honour men in their proper place. Grant, O God, that we may perceive above all things the wisdom and the the courage of our Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Words are some of the most powerful weapons that we possess. We love to seize upon words and strike with them. There is, even now, this pressure beginning to build in our own parliament. Did the Prime Minister willfully mislead Parliament? Did he mislead them? Did he do so willfully? And what are people doing? They are seizing on his words. Aha, you said this then, but you're saying this now. You spoke in this way, and we've got you, because we heard you say these particular words with this particular meaning. Now, you don't need to be in the Houses of Parliament to know that that's the way that very often these kinds of things develop. Perhaps in your families, brothers and sisters, or husbands and wives, we seize upon one another's, ah, you said this then, but you didn't do it, did you? Or you promised this, but you didn't follow through. Or you said this and you must have meant that. Words become weapons. And the Pharisees try to use them as such here. Their intention is to catch Jesus in his words. And because he hasn't yet said anything that they can use against him, they're going to try and entrap him. They're going to try and provoke him to say something that is going to give them the handle that they need to bring him down. Christ has come in claiming kingship. He was the the one who received then the the honours of the crowd. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Is he really the king of the Jews? Let's ask him a political question. Let's see if we can entangle him in this way. It's a good reminder. Christ lived in the real world. Theophilus for whom Luke is writing this book. Theophilus needs to know how to navigate this world. And friends, you and I live in the real world. We live under Christ if we are his people. It's good for us then to see how he directs us and guides us with regard to these things. So look a little bit more closely, first of all, at this malicious intent of the Pharisees. They watched him. They have got their beady eyes on him. And they sent spies That's people who are lying in wait, who pretended to be righteous, that they might seize on his words in order to deliver him to the power and authority of the governor. Do you like it when you've got a sense that people are watching you, waiting for you to trip up? Every word you speak is being analysed. Everything that you say and do is being watched by someone who's just waiting for a chance to criticise you, to bring you down, to cut your feet from underneath you. Christ is now surrounded by these apparent disciples who are just waiting for the opportunity to say, ah, he spoke in this way. And Luke tells us that they were, uh, this is a contradiction in terms, that they were openly hypocritical. They were pretending to be righteous. Now, we only know that they were hypocrites because Luke tells us that. But they're they're playing the game. They're following along in the crowd. They're they're listening to the Lord Jesus with open eyes and with clasped hands. Oh, they want to know what this man has to say. But their intention is... To trick him into saying something that will enable them to deliver him to the power and authority of the governor. They know they live under Roman rule and they're hoping that he'll say something that they can use to uh, bring him under the judgment of the Romans, who can then deal with the problem for the Pharisees. It's entrapment. That's what we would call it today. That they're trying to trick him into self-incrimination when they will immediately denounce him to the authorities and the job will be done. That's where we begin. We've said that this is a battle being fought. This is a war that is raging. And these are the weapons that they're using. I think if we do nothing else as we think about this disposition is to say, Lord... Let us as God's people deal openly and honestly with one another and in the world at large. Let's not be the people who lie in wait, hoping that someone will trip themselves up. Let's not be those who seize and twist words in an attempt to bring people down. Christ is not like that. His disciples are not like that. They've got this malicious intent. And then they come... Teacher, we know that you say and teach rightly and you do not show personal favoritism, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? I'm calling this the oily knife of their question. Why an oily knife? Because if you want a knife to go in nice and easily, you oil it first. And they oil the knife with flattery and then they try and stab the Lord Jesus in the back. This question is designed to get past his defences. It's very innocent-sounding, positive-sounding flattery. It's like somebody planting a bomb in a barrel full of syrup. Christ is wise. He waits to see the words confirm the deeds. He uh, waits, for, rather, for the deeds to confirm the words, and it would be good if we followed in his footsteps. So the flattery first. Now, it's true, but it's not sincere. Teacher, sign of respect. We know that you say and teach rightly. You do not show personal favoritism. You teach the way of God in truth. Now that's all right. That's, that's the way that our Lord Jesus is. Certainly not the way that they are. They're trying to trick him. But he is a man who speaks and teaches rightly. He's a straight talker. That's what they're saying. You're a straight talker. You give an accurate presentation of things and you're impartial. You speak without regard to the fear or favor of men. You, you speak the same truth to friends and to foes, and you teach truly. You know how to determine what is righteous before God. We know that you're a man of integrity. We know you're going to answer openly and honestly. We know that you're going to speak straight Now, again, it all sounds very positive, but you understand they're trying to back him into a corner here. They're trying to make sure that when he speaks, they've got a question in mind that if you're going to be consistent, if you're going to speak the way you've always spoken, we're going to catch you out. And so they bait the trap. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, this is an obligation for all of the Jews and for every nation that is under Caesar's authority. The Caesar at this time is the son of Augustus, a man called Tiberius, and he is a cruel and corrupt emperor. He's not a righteous man in any sense. He's not a a good ruler. And this tribute is the point at which their painful subjection to this rotten king is felt. And they're trying to put the Lord Jesus on the horns of a dilemma. Here's his sort of catch-22. Because if he says it's lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, then the Jews are going to reject him. How can you be the king of Israel if you will have us pay taxes to Caesar? How can you be God's Messiah if you expect us to honour this Caesar? And they will reject him. If he says it's not lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, then he's resisting Rome. He's denying the rights of Caesar to rule, and therefore he's a traitor to the civil authority. So either the people are going to reject him if he says you must pay taxes, or the Romans are going to execute him if he says you must not pay taxes. That's his problem. Choose Jesus of Nazareth, Israel, Or Rome, which is it to be? Now, in some measure, that's still a question and a challenge that we face today. This isn't just about whether or not you like paying taxes. I'm not sure anybody particularly likes paying taxes. But it's the challenge to whom do we belong? And in what sphere do we operate? And what are our respective duties? The church and the state, the individual Christian and the civil authorities, a Christian conscience, and the governors that God has set over us. And there'll be times, whether it's Theophilus or us, that we feel the same tension. Is this lawful? What's the right thing to do? And the Lord Jesus has this very perceptive riposte. He strikes back at them he perceived their craftiness don't you find relief in that oh i'm glad somebody does if somebody did this to us wouldn't we be easily taken in we are hooked in in a moment people come and they say nice words oh he was a nice person she was such a lovely lady and you don't realise perhaps what's going on behind the scenes. The Lord Jesus sees right through this kind of deceit and he turns the tables on them. Just like he did in verse 3. I'll ask you one thing and you answer me and then I'll answer your question. He doesn't just get out of the way. He steps in and the whole situation is reversed. First question, why are you testing me? Why are you trying to trip me up? Where does this antagonism and this animosity come from? You're not sincere. You've got no real regard for me. You call me teacher, but you don't think of me in that way. Your praise of me is just designed to put me in a situation I can't get out of. He exposes their deceit and reveals their truth. And then question two. Show me a denarius now. Whose image and whose inscription does it have? And they have to answer, it's Caesar's. Now the question that our Lord Jesus is now asking them is really, in whose sphere are we operating when it comes to this question of paying taxes to Caesar? Show me the coin. Get it out of the folds of your robe. Get it out of your traveling bag. Wherever it is, show me the coin. It's a question again of ownership. And we've been here before. Whose temple is this? Is it yours or is it God's? Whose vineyard is this? Is it yours or is it God's? And he now brings us to the very heart of the issue. And he has wonderfully identified the very point of contact The point of contrast, the point of conflict that they're in. Now, what is a denarius? It's a relatively small coin. But the coin that he's looking at, and this is where it's really helpful to understand it, this is a small coin, and it's stamped with the image of Tiberius Caesar. And it's got these particular words that are written around the edges of the coin. I think, if I remember rightly, Tiberius is on one side. I think a picture of his mother was on the other side. And it was this coin that a Jew had to use to pay the tribute In a similar way that you needed a temple shekel to trade in the temple, you needed a Roman coin to pay the Roman tax. And it's got to be this one that drives home the fact this is Tiberius coin and you've got to pay Tiberius with his coin. And written on this coin, there were a number of claims about Tiberius. He is the son of divine Augustus. Yes, Tiberius is a son of a god. And he is also Pontifex Maximus. He is the highest priest. So you've got a coin with the face of a man who says he's a divine creature. And says that he is the highest priest in all his kingdom. He claims divinity, this Tiberius. And he claims the right to mediate between men and the gods. Now, why is this significant? Well, it's significant because they've actually got one. They live in Tiberius' world. They live under the government of the Roman Caesar. Now, I'm probably gonna... Right, I haven't got any money on me this morning, so you may have. What if I asked you, have you got a fiver or a tenner? You've got a 20 pound note? Bring it out. Whose image and inscription is on your money? Or pull out your one-pound coin or your two-pound coin. Whose face is on there and what does it say? The very moment you pull out that money and say, well, it's got a picture of Queen Elizabeth and it describes her as the defender of the faith and it tells when her reign began, you're, you're admitting that that's the world that you live in, that that's the reality of your existence, that you're quite happy to buy and to sell on the basis of living in this society. You're recognising, at least in some measure, the authority of Caesar or the Queen or her government or whoever it might be. When you bring out that Roman coin from your pocket, you're declaring that you're part of that system, that you benefit from imperial rule, that you walk to Jerusalem on roads that the Romans had something to do with that you're in Jerusalem under the the Pax Romana, the Roman peace that has been established. If you've got a coin in your pocket with Tiberius' face in it, then you're functionally recognising that Tiberius has certain authority in the earth. Not to mention the fact that in trying to trick Jesus in this way, you want to deliver him to the power and the authority of the Roman governor. It's the real world, and you live in it. I mean, the battle's now half won, isn't it? Once you understand that this is the coin that they've got in their hand, in their pocket, out of their bag, out of their purse, out of the folds of their clothes, there's such wisdom here. What a comfort to know how Christ discerns all these things. His insight into the heart of men, his understanding of the issues that you and I face. I cannot imagine... Being in a situation remotely like this and coming up with that on the spur of the moment. Brothers and sisters, you're going to be in situations where you just don't know what's coming next. Where you might have some sense, oh, I'm getting into fairly deep waters here, but I really don't know what's going on. Perhaps environments where you you think that there are those who perhaps hate you because of your Christianity or you're you're dealing with a difficult family situation. And you're thinking, oh, I'm not, not, not sure what's going on. Christ is sure. The Lord knows what we deal with, the Lord knows what we face. You may be surrounded by hypocrites, you may be surrounded by enemies. The Lord discerns every heart, the Lord knows every issue, and the Lord knows what He's doing. And so He gives this clear principle. And it's a principle that those who are questioning him need to understand. It's a principle that his disciples need to understand. It's a way of life for everyone in this world. Verse 25. Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Here you are. What coin have you got in your pocket? I've got one of Tiberius's coins. Okay, you look at that coin. Whose face is on it? Whose image? Whose inscription? It's Tiberius coin. And on this coin you see his face and his claim that he's a son of God and that he's the highest priest. Right, now, you give to Caesar that which belongs to Caesar. The word render here means to pay back or to give his due. Caesar is acting within his legitimate sphere in asking for this tax you are benefiting from caesar's rule you may not like caesar's rule but this is the system within which you operate you're quite willing to buy and sell in these terms it is proper for caesar to receive his due from those who are under his government in in raw terms caesar is entitled to what belongs to him You're living within his structures. You're under his government. You've already conceded that because you're carrying his coins to do your business. And you're quite willing, incidentally, to try and deliver me into the hands of his local governor. All your assumptions are that Caesar has proper authority within his legitimate realm. And that's right and proper. And if you and I are followers of Jesus Christ... We need to act the same way. My friends, what is our disposition towards Caesar? I'm not making a political point about either Her Majesty or Boris Johnson, the civil authorities, the governor that God has put over us. Sometimes men and women that we might say, this is not the king that I want, this is not the prime minister that I would have, this is not the president under whom I should serve. Maybe it feels a little bit distant for us. What if you're a Christian in Russia at the moment? What if your taxes are funding the invasion of Ukraine? What if you're a Christian in Ukraine? Your taxes are funding defense against Russia. What about some of the rules and regulations which come down to us? What about the taxes that we pay? I don't know if you've ever seen some of those. I think they're more common in other parts of the world than they are here, in part because of the complexity of our tax system. There are people who are prosecuted in some parts of the world because they've worked out the proportion of their taxes that are being paid into investments that they don't think the government should be making, and they therefore decide to withhold those taxes. Is that proper? Is that right? You see, there's a big question here, and it's really the one, how do we understand and respond to the authority of the government that God has put over us? If we just describe that government as Caesar, you give back to Caesar what is Caesar's due. If you're under that authority, if you enjoy the benefits of that rule... Although you may suffer under that system, there is still a proper respect, there is a proper recognition, there is a proper response that is to be made. You render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Now he's indirectly answering their question, isn't he? Is it lawful to pay tax to Caesar? Is it lawful to pay this tribute? What system are you in? Whose money are you carrying? Whose rule are you under? In what sphere do you operate? You give back to Caesar what belongs to Caesar by right. And you give back to God the things that are God's. Now notice the word. Not give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. This isn't opposition. This isn't a recipe for conflict. Everything falls within God's sphere, including Caesar. The temple is God's house, and the Pharisees have been making their money in it. The Lord Jesus is God's king and the Pharisees have been resisting him. Israel is God's people, and the Pharisees have been fleecing them. Jerusalem is God's city, and the Pharisees have been dominating it. Are you withholding what is God's, asks Christ? You remember, don't you, my friends, that all of us are stamped with the image of God. Made at the beginning in his likeness, male and female, each one of us bearing that proper creaturely reflection of the creator who called us into being. I could ask you this morning to look into a mirror whose image and inscription do you see? The proper answer is I am his. Caesar Tiberius would have had to say that. Caesar Augustus would have said it before him. Tiberius' mother, on the flip side of the coin, she is God's. They may not wish it so, they may reject the idea, they may not like that, but we owe all we are and all we have to God. We are his creatures. There is nothing that is not God's and which we do not owe in tribute to him. This beautiful language in Deuteronomy and chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God to walk in all his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. It's as simple as that. That's not straightforward. Well, it's all-encompassing, but it is straightforward. If you are gods, you belong to him. You belong to him by creation. Israel belonged to him by national redemption. Christian, you and I belong to him by Christian salvation. If we claim to be God's men and women, then we give back to God what is God's. I have been purchased with a price. I am not my own. There's nothing that I am, nothing that I have, nothing you are, nothing you have, that you can get a hold of and say, God can't have this god's not entitled to this no it's his because i am his as a creature and if a christian as a servant and these pharisees they would have said well we're god's men then you give to god what is god's says our lord but i think there's another layer here I'm wrestling with this, brothers and sisters. There are, there are, there are layers here that I, I think I'm beginning to begin to grasp. Who is the image of the invisible God? It's this man, Jesus Christ. God spoke in time past to the fathers, by the prophets, but He has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, who is the express image of his person. There's a general sense in which all mankind is stamped with the image of God and we ought to recognise that and respond accordingly but there's a particular sense in which the son of the living and true God and the great high priest of his people is the image bearer of divinity. He is the God-man. Yes, there's a coin here with the image of Tiberius. And it makes a claim that he's the son of a God and the highest of priests. And there is a man standing before the Pharisees. And he is stamped with divinity. He is the son of God. He is the high, high priest. You give back to God what belongs to him. Where is his honour? You are testing the man who bears the stamp of God. You are seeking to bring down the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. That's his coin. You give it to him in tribute. The son of a God... That's not for Caesar. The highest priest, not him. It is Jesus of Nazareth, who is God's king, God's son, God's prophet, God's priest. Brothers and sisters, it is our duty in this world to respect the civil authorities in their God-appointed sphere. And all of this under God. And all of this under his king. Caesar is God's. Our Prime Minister is God's. Vladimir Putin is God's. President Zelensky is God's. President Biden is God's. Who's going to be in charge in France by the end of today? Someone who's God's. Not in the redemptive sense. I'm not claiming that for any or all of them. But in this sense, that they are in God's sphere, and He has put them over these particular nations. We do not give divine honor to men, men do not usurp into the sphere of God, but we recognize the authority that God has put over us as far as it should extend, and we honor it accordingly. And we serve God and his king in their proper place. Now, our Lord has done it again. He doesn't evade the question. He doesn't sidestep it. He transcends it. He says, you're on the wrong level altogether. Where do you get the authority to do these things? Let me ask you a question first. The baptism of John from heaven or from men? (laughs) All of a sudden, different plane altogether. The same thing here. Is it lawful for us, oh great teacher, to pay taxes to Caesar? Show me that coin. Whose sphere are you working in? So you give back to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And you give back to God what belongs to God. Honour Caesar as Caesar. He is appointed by God. Honour God as God and his true son, and his true king, and his true priest. Our Lord sees things from heaven's perspective. It's both a comfort to us and a lesson to us. The true king of Israel is speaking. My friends, what are you doing with regard to God and his king? Not now the petty kings of this earth. We know what they're entitled to, and we ought to respect them and honor them accordingly. But we serve him in all things. Have you yet recognized the fact that you are a creature made in his image? How do you rule your life, or how do you think you do? Do you live with reference to the God who made you? Or are you trying to do your own thing and your own way? Some of you are walking as you wish. Some of you are going in the way that you please. Some of you are making your decisions without any reference to the glory and the honour of the God who made you. How much more if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ? My friends, we recognise the image of God in him. He is God's representative to us. He is the one mediator between God and men. He is that man, Christ Jesus, the express image of God. He is the outshining of his glory. Are you living with an eye to your God? Yes, I'll give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. That's his, in his proper sphere. But I will give God everything that belongs to God. Until you bow the knee to Jesus of Nazareth, you will be in rebellion against your God. Until you embrace him by faith, until you take him as the true son of God and the highest priest, you do not know and you cannot serve this God. For many of us perhaps now, the first step... In giving to Caesar what is Caesar's and in giving to God what is God's is to confess our sins and to take Jesus Christ as our Lord and our saviour. Now, the Pharisees don't know what to do with this. They are dumbfounded. They gobsmacked. They cannot catch him in his words in the presence of the people. They thought they've got this nailed. The Sadducees are going to have a go in a moment, but the Pharisees thought, we've got him now. Oh, teacher, we know that you say and teach rightly and you do not show personal favoritism, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And the Lord shows that he says and teaches rightly. The Lord absolutely demonstrates that he shows no personal favoritism. The Lord manifests that he knows how to teach the way of God in truth. He calls for a coin and he says, whose is the image and inscription? Well, that's Caesar's. So you give back to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but you give back to God what belongs to God. He doesn't so much evade their trap as he just explodes it. He brings a higher perspective and a purer standard. And he gives these Pharisees and their men lying in wait no traction with the people. They can't use his answer to bring him into trouble with Rome or to trample on his reputation in Israel. And they are blown away. They've got nothing to say. It's a stunned silence. They marveled at his answer. And they kept silent. Their whole scheme is destroyed. It's not the end of the war. But this skirmish is once more soundly won by our Lord Jesus Christ. He lived in the real world. And he brought to it this pure and perfect heavenly perspective. Luke lived in this world. The Apostle Paul lived in this world. He was being taken to Nero Caesar. What is the testimony of the book of the Acts as we've been following the Apostle Paul? What does he do as he goes? He renders to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and he renders to God the things that are God's. What about Theophilus? What world does he live in? He lives in the same world. He lives in the world of the Caesar's. He lives in the world of the Roman emperors. What world do you live in? Not longer this particular system, but nations and states, presidents and prime ministers and kings and rulers and parliaments. It's a real world that we live in. God over all and men in their appointed places. And so we need to ask this morning, first of all, with regard to Caesar, with regard to the civil authority, What is your disposition toward him? Is it resentment or respect? How do you even speak about those whom God has put in authority over us and over others? We need to remember that in their proper sphere, that's an important qualification, each one is entitled to their due. And if you're ever confused about what that means, take the money out of your pocket and ask yourself whose image and inscription is here. This is the sphere in which I'm operating. But, or and, not but, and, with regard to God. Resentment or reverence? Is there any reserve in our service of our God? Have we recognised our true king? Do we bow before the Son of God and our high, high priest? Do we honour his rule in all things? Do you and I rejoice in his government and embrace his crown rights in our lives? All of my life, all of yours, all of every life on this earth is to be lived then not just before men, but ultimately before God. We have a Christ who will guide us through. We have divine wisdom to instruct us. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's and render to God what is God's. Amen.